something a little different here this morning. As you can see in front of you, or you ought to anyway, uh, a printout of 1 Corinthians 13. If you're thinking, man, that's so big and easy to read, that's font number 20. The size is 20. You're welcome. <laughs> what we're going to do here this morning is instead of me telling you how to study the Bible, we're going to study the Bible here together. There are three very important instructions when you sit down with a passage of scripture before you, whether it be a paragraph, whether it be, uh, say, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, sections of scripture. You can study a book. You can study a chapter. You can look at a paragraph. And my friends, it all starts with this observation it is the work of a detective the goal of bible study is not to check a box i did it i'm done yay me the goal of bible study ultimately is to be transformed and to be transformed my friends we must understand the truth of every passage that we read observation did you know, and this, this, is, this is a very, very, very sad thing. I heard this statistic this past week. It says that less than 25% of all Christians in the United States read their Bible. Frankly, friends, that explains a lot. That explains a lot. But this must never be named among us. We are family Bible church named for a reason. We look at the Bible and we say this is not just an interesting book. It is the very words of God. Who are we to say we don't need to hear from God? We most certainly do. And so let us begin with observation. What does that look like? Well, uh, we can talk about uh, structure. What is the structure of this text? Likely it's going to take some observation to discover that. Reading. Reading with a pen or a pencil in hand. Noticing patterns. Things that might be repeated you know, here we are in 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't know it already, this is commonly known as the love chapter. The word love is repeated nine different times in this passage. I challenge thee to count them. And so I'm guessing just by that statistic, this might have something to do with love. But my friends, that's not enough. When you study a passage, you ask two questions. These must be answered for you to fully grasp what has been taught and how that you can live out that lesson. The first question is this, what's the writer talking about? Well, you would easily answer that. He's talking about love. And then comes the real question. What's he saying about it? What's he saying about it? What's he talking about? What's he saying about it? And so we look for structure. 
one of the, the grand things that has been done for us in, the, uh, in our translations of the Bible is we have chapters. The Bible wasn't written with chapters. And Matthew was writing the gospel. He didn't say, you know, it's about time for chapter 2 here, writing little numbers by everyone else. And that was done a long time after. Imagine how difficult and how wonderful it is that you have a copy of Scripture that you can carry with you on your phone, in your hand. You have one in your car. I don't know what you might do. But how wonderful it is. We need to learn to study. So take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. I noticed right away this. If I speak, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, ding, 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 that's number one. I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. How do we understand that? That's something we want to focus on. Now, what does that mean, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? Well, these things don't sound pleasant, do they? And you'll notice here in verse 2, and there it is again. If I have, that's called repetition, my friends. What we have here is Paul laying out a very important truth. If I speak in the tongues. Now, when you see tongues there, you might say, what's he talking about there? Oh, yeah, I knew this church one time. And, uh, well, if um, you're reading this in context, what comes before and what comes after, Paul defines exactly what he means by this word. And these are known languages. Known languages. In chapter 14, he'll reference that. Okay. So if I know all sorts of languages and I can speak to the world and there are no obstacles to communicate to anyone, but I don't have any love, well, frankly, it doesn't matter much what I say then. And if I have prophetic powers, see the chapter before he was talking about gifts, Gifts in the church, like prophecy. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, and we know how important faith is, so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Those are pretty strong statements. Verse 3, if I, and there it is again, if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, if I offer to the God of heaven great sacrifice, if I am willing to face the fires, if I am to be like Daniel, remember those words he spoke? He said, listen, king, you can throw me into this fire and God may deliver me, but if he does not know this, I will not bow to your gods. And friends, if you have that kind of faith 
that kind of boldness, but have not love, you, you accomplish nothing. You gain nothing. Zippo. Zippo. Three statements right there, my friends. That feels like a group intended to be laid out for me to understand something. And that is the primacy of love. It is greater than anything else that you can do for the Lord. It does not matter what your gift may be, how eloquently you can speak, if you have not love. Nobody cares. Clanging cymbal, noisy gong. And then we come to verse 4. You see, when we're doing observation, we're reading carefully, we're noticing things. I studied this passage ahead of time in the same way that I'm asking you to look at every passage. Look at the structure. It, it seems to me, through verses 1 to 3, if I, if I, if I, seems like a, a section highlighting a very important truth. And so I looked for structure. I looked for repetition. There's that word love in every one of those sections. No matter what good thing I have, if I have not love, seems to be the pattern. And I asked those five W's. Anybody know what those five W's are? None of them ran for president, I'll tell you. What is happening in this passage? And we know Paul's talking about love. And he's already laid out for us, my friend, the importance, the essentialness. That's not a word, but... We're talking about W's. <laughs> the primacy of love. The essential nature of love. We must have it regardless of whatever we have. We ask the what. What is happening? We might ask, where is this taking place? Oh, wait a minute. He's writing this letter to the church at Corinth, right? And as I recall, I might read a Bible introduction, I would learn that this was a troublesome church. I mean, this is chapter 13, chapter 12 was talking about gifts and how they all may be different, but they are all important. Chapter 11 was a rebuke. You see, he's addressing the Lord's Supper and you remember what happened there? Some people got there early, the wealthy, and they ate all the food. And the poor laborers who could not just leave whenever they wanted, when they got there, there was nothing. You know what? That's not. It ain't love, is it? They only thought about themselves. And so the primacy of love, if I speak... If I have prophetic powers, if I give away all that I have, but I don't have love, nothing. Friend, that's a truth that's heavy. It causes us to hold the big mirror up in front of us and ask the question, hey, what about you, pal? 
What are you prizing more than love? The Spirit of God says, without love, ain't nothing. Nothing. And so we ask the what. What is happening? Where is this event taking place? When is it? Is there any significance to its timing? And why is it recorded and preserved? Why does this passage matter here in 2023? I mean, can we look back and say, well, you know, that was just the Corinthian church. They were, you know, they were a troublesome bunch. Or is there a lesson for me here today? Yeah. So we start with observation, my friends. We read through the text. This is what I do every Monday morning. It's my day off, but I can't wait to get into the text. And I copy and paste the text into Microsoft Word. And there I begin to read, and I underline things, I bold things, I put spaces between. He's talking about this, and oh, here, this is a transition here. He had the ifs and the ifs and the ifs, and now no more ifs. First section. I'm going to look later a little deeper on that, but I want to look for the structure that we talked about. How is this argument laid out for us? And so that's how my Bible study works. It's not much different than printing it out, except ultimately that page turned somehow in the next five days into a sermon, you know, and it gets better on Saturday. So we see the primacy of love here. The next thing we want to move on to is something called interpretation. Three words that should guide us, my friends. Observation. Spend time with the text. It's something I didn't know about before I went to the Moody Bible Institute, but I'll tell you, I learned a lot more when I was there. But I used to carry a little, we didn't have phones, you know, that you could carry around. I mean, cordless, I guess. But I had a little new um, Bible that I'd keep in my pocket. And when I had time, I'd read through a passage over and over again, trying to make sure I didn't miss anything. And so observation takes time. Read it through. Look at the words. If there are words that you don't understand, circle it and find out. There are tools available to us in Bible study. Did you know that? Of course there are. There are things called commentaries. If you've never heard of a commentary, it is, um, it's much like watching a baseball game. You're seeing everything happen in front of you, and then there's some guy telling you what you're seeing. You know, And he might give you some background. Now, you'll notice he seems to be favoring his left leg because recently he had a little bit of more background. That's what a commentary does. And difficult words, it'll take some time to explain what they mean. So some commentaries that I like that you might want to write down. I, it's up to you. Hey. There's a guy named Warren Wearsby, and it's either W-I-E or W-E-I. Anybody know for real? It's one of those. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> is it I.E.? I.E. Yeah. Wearsby. His first name is Warren. His middle name is Wally. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a W, though. Warren W. Wearsby. 
very helpful. Very, I'll tell you what, you don't have to be a scholar to use this. He lays it out nice. Warren W. Wearsby. It's called the B series. And he titles all of the New Testament books as a be kind, be a warrior, be a, and so that's why it's called that. But two volumes. Friends, if you're going to be a student of the Bible, you need to have some sort of library to work with. There's something called a concordance. You know where you're like, somewhere in the Bible, it talks about French cooking on a, I mean, whatever the subject might be. You know, I think Jesus said that. How do you find it? Well, you could call your pastor, but you know what your pastor might do? <laughs> Look on a concordance. A concordance is every word in the Bible. Well, it might be not every word, but, uh, and it, everywhere that uh, it's, it's, it has definitions and also where you find it in the Bible. So you can look up a word, and it's here, 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 and here. Help you locate it. Concordance is it's a lot similar to a cross-reference. A cross-reference is something you might have at the bottom of the page of your Bible, or a little letter by a verse. Do you ever see those? You're reading along, hey, what's that thing doing there? It's a reference. And it says, hey, Jesus talked about that here. And it'll tell you a reference where you can look to see more about that. Good students of the Bible chase down cross-references, my friend. It's part of understanding the Bible in context. Studying the Word of God in context. Broader understandings give you great depth, my friends. So, interpretation. Interpretation, my friends, is this. What does it mean? We know what it says. What does it mean? And so again, how do we uh, interpret? We look in the context. We never interpret a scripture without a context. What comes before it? What comes after it? A text offered without a context is a pretext for sin. You can make the Bible say anything you want if you take the scripture out of context. It's not hard to get there, my friends, but oh, it is wrong to do so. And so we interpret. What is the context? You can answer 75% of your questions about a passage when you read the text. But friends, reading the text involves looking at the near context. Here, it is significant in 1 Corinthians 13 to see what comes before, talking about spiritual gifts in ministry, how we relate to one another. I mean, chapter 11 was just, again, about, uh, you know, the wealthy people coming, taking all the food, leaving nothing for the poor folks who were laborers who would get there late. A need for love in the church. Friends, if love ought to be anywhere, it ought to be in the church. And uh, you might want to define the word love. Well, I did that a long time ago for myself and research and context and reading where it shows up. And I understand love to be a sacrificial investment in someone else's life. Why is it important to look these words up? Because you and I, from the world and from our experience, have ideas in our head of what we think it is. 
Isn't it more important what we think God thinks it is, <laughs> you know, to understand these things well? Love, we talk about love in our culture, which we simply mean enjoy. Oh, I love the chicken from that place. Mmm, it's so good. Oh, I love it when my wife fixes those, the sandwich has got the cheese with the ham, and it's melted, and there's butter, and mmm, mm, so good, you know? What does it mean if I love a sandwich and then I tell my wife I love her? Well, and why do we tell one another we love one another when love is actually the action, not so much the words? You want to tell somebody you love them? Show them. Yeah, it's all about action. Sacrificial actions on behalf of someone else. It's a sacrifice, my friend. So we see the primacy of love in verses 1 to 3. And we're, we're working on our way of observation and interpretation. What does it mean? I have laid out in these three words what I think is a summary of those first three verses. That the primacy of love, love is prime. It is the most important thing. It doesn't matter what else you got going on, friends. You're bankrupt if you don't have love. See how I can restate that? And it all means the same thing. But you know what it does when I restate it? Helps me understand it better. Putting it in words really puts the rubber to the road, friends. You want to study the Bible? Start writing. Start writing. Well, look at here in verses 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not... Insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Did you notice anything in that reading? Anything stick out? Still talking about love, isn't he? You know what I noticed in my reading? There are some things that love does and things that love will never do. You see that? Love is patient and kind. We all know what patient is, right? Somebody tell me what patient is. Yet we all know unless we're, we're going to write it down, right? That's one of those words we need to know what it means. Does patient mean just to sit there quietly and wait? This New Testament word, my friends, which I found in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, two volumes, Old Testament, New Testament, very, very helpful, done by the Dallas Theological Seminary staff. Patience, hear me when I say this, patience is the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. What does that sound like to you? Anything come to mind when you think about the scriptures? I think about Jesus when he says, when someone strikes you on the left side of the cheek, offer him the right also. You don't retaliate. And then you say, well, what do you mean by retaliate? And that's what you do, is you, you ask questions of the text. What does it mean? 
And what does that mean for me when I'm driving and someone cuts me off? Or when I'm talking and somebody just starts talking over me and you go, <laughs> what do you do? You cut them off? Honk your horn? Yeah. What do you do? How do we practice these things? You know, I'll tell you what, friends. It's a whole lot easier loving people from a distance than up close. But if you want to learn how to love people up close, start practicing on the people in a distance. You know? Yeah, you're the next in line, and that guy came in here, and he should be back there. Or maybe you could just pause and let him in. Self-sacrifice. Of course, if there's 23 people behind you going, hey, what are you letting that guy in there for? Maybe that's not loving those people. But I'll tell you what, friends, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you'll know exactly what to do. And it ought to be of our hearts and of our character to be such people. No, please, you've got more. Go ahead of me. Isn't that contrary to the way that we've, oh, me, 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 give me my stuff, get out of here, or me, 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 me. Love. Love. You want to learn to love? Practice it on strangers. You'll get better at it with the people you know. Learn to love. And so love is patient and kind. Things that it does not do. It doesn't envy or boast. Why? Because love is a self-sacrificing action for the good of someone else. And this is the opposite of love. Envy and boasting. It's not arrogant because arrogance only thinks about itself. It does not insist on its own way. Love isn't like that at all, is it? And when people act like that toward us, we know exactly how they feel. Exactly how they look on us. And it ain't love. And if it ain't love, my friends, it's a clanging cymbal. And a noisy gong. And so we have this profile of love. And then here in verse 7, I've noticed, feels like a bit of a transition. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? But notice, as we continue on, you know, we have this statement, endures all things. Now note with me, as for prophecies, there are those spiritual gifts from the previous chapter. They will pass away. You know what? There will be a time where we don't need those gifts. They will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. There will be a time. We don't need it. It will pass away. For we know, verse 9, in part, and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's a lot of temporary things in the plans of God, but love ain't one of them. Love endures forever. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about the people with gooey eyes at each other. You know, we're talking about people who live out sacrificial investment in others. They look out for a way to help someone else. And then notice when we come to verse 11. 
And we kind of get a connection with a passing away, expiring as it were. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so he gives the impression that all of these things that are so needful today are because of our immaturity at this point. But when we are mature in Christ and we see him face to face, we ain't going to need a commentary, friend. We're not going to need someone to explain it to us. For now we see it a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, hear me. Look at verse 13. Friends, this is the one we circle about 11 times and say, hey, this lays it all out for us. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and man, how big these three are. Faith, it is the response of a sinner to God's great grace. And in response to it, he proclaims us as righteous. He saves us. And he gives us a new life. It's a big one. Hope. It's how we make it through the day, my friend. Hope is the anticipation of something better. But you know, of all those things, the greatest of these is love. You want to be a great person in the kingdom of God? You want to be a person of great influence? Love one another. Love one another. That's what it says, right? We just walked through it. We made some observations. And then we take an interpretation. What does it mean? He's talking about love. What's he saying about it? Get some of that stuff and live it out because it's the most important thing that you will do today. It is the most important thing you will do with your life. To sacrifice for the good of someone else. That is the point. That is the point. Well, friends, then we come to the application. See, three words, right? Observation, interpretation. What's it mean? What's it mean? What's the context? What's the cross-references? What's the culture that he's writing to? And what's the conclusion? What's he talking about here? And what's he saying about what he's talking about? Love is defined by what it does and does not do. That's our second section, isn't it? Love. But how do we put it into practice? I like to say it this way. I'm not certain what the origin of this uh, phraseology is, but how then shall we live? I think it's in the Bible somewhere. You know how I could find that? With a concordance. That's clever, wasn't it? <laughs> how then shall I live? And we can ask three questions to help us with that. 
How does this truth affect my relationship with God? Well, it tells me this, that if I want to know what the scale is in which God evaluates, it has something to do with love. What's the great commandment anyway? It's something about doing things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. How does this truth affect my relationship with God? How does this truth affect my relationship with others? Well, my hope is this morning that perhaps the Spirit of God has taken this text and if there has been some sin towards somebody, it has convicted your heart. You say, I need to make that right. Hear me when I say this. To know this and to make it right is a sign of maturity, and it is most certainly an act of love. Make it right. They will know we are Christians by our sign out front. Love, my friends. That's it. That is the beat of the drum. That is the mode of the church. It is the character of who we are. Love. And finally, how does this truth affect my response to the enemy? We're talking about Satan. If Satan wants to wreck a church, what does love have to do with it? You want to wreck a church? Take away its love. You want to make the kind of church that no one wants to come to? Only think about yourself. Only think about what you want. Don't look around and make sure everyone else is okay making sure that everyone else got greeted, to make sure they know that they are treasured here. Just think about yourself. Love, my friends. Well, the point of this endeavor was to learn how to study. And we walked our way through a passage of scripture, and this is what we do. And here's the secret. You want to know the secret of good Bible study? Practice. You know how you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Lots of practice. You don't need a giant library. You need to get some good tools available to your friends, and you need to use them. But live it out. The whole point of this, my friends, is you know how you ought to be living, how you ought to be responding to the people in your life. Sacrificial investment. I wonder if you've written that down. Did you write that down? That's a pretty big application point there, friends. So how are you going to become a student of the Word of God? How are you going to study the word of God this week? Well, you're going to need to find a place and set a time. 
This is the place that I carve out in my home, downstairs, upstairs, here, this room, that room. And I make it a habit in my life to be there, an appointment with God, to hear his word. I have an alarm that goes off on my watch because sometimes you get distracted. A time and a place. And then you take some time in prayer, my friends, because this will never be done well if it isn't done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you ask God to show you where you ought to be studying. If you're going to study a book, well, if you were in chapter 2 last time, you might want to be in chapter 3 this time. It helps us stay in context. I cannot overemphasize how important context is. Ask God to help you, to lead you to find a book, to show you the, and study the things that God would have you to know now. And study it in context, my friends, but always, always, always never say you're done until you have written out clear application. Three questions. What's the author talking about? What's the author saying about what he's talking about? Paul is telling to us, my friends, that the greatest thing that you will ever do is to love others. How then should I live? Question number three. How then shall I live? What must I do now? in light of what the word of God says. Sounds like we're done. <laughs> so my friends, get at it. Live it out. It's the whole point. It is how we are changed. Be a student of the word of God.